Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Hi, Smushy. Hi, Smushy. It's really nice to see you. I I really miss you. You seem so far away. I know. That's the hard part. Can you believe it's been a year since the pandemic started? Well, in some ways, yes. Uh, Other ways, it's been like time has been suspended. Mm -hmm. But as time has been suspended, I think everything you treasure becomes even clearer just in your fine-tuned focus. Hmm. You know, I wanted to actually ask you if today you wouldn't mind if we talked about the concept of friendship. No. I've been thinking about it a great deal, actually, and even more so during the pandemic Hmm. because I've heard a lot of relationship changes happening during the pandemic. Either people got much closer and they weren't planning on it, or they got further apart, even separating, Mm -hmm. and they weren't planning on that. Mm. I think the pandemic has also been almost like a giant, those panoramic mirrors. Mm -hmm. So we could see where we really are at instead of where we had talked ourselves into being Mm. or fooled ourselves into being. If love is a source of our existence, is a source of our being, then what is friendship? I don't remember a single time in my life where somebody talked about friendship in terms of what is a friend or how I be a friend or what I should look at if I choose a friend. Nobody ever talked to me about it. But I think that to me, a friend is someone who witnesses an aspect of your purpose, even a tiny aspect, because they're supporting your evolution. And I think the same for myself. Did you grow up with a concept of a friend or did people speak to you about what a friend is? No. And actually, I think most of us enter into all kinds of relationships without any guidelines to the qualities that we're looking for, Mm. which is so interesting. It's like, can you imagine buying a car without knowing the details or (laughs) buying a house without knowing how many bedrooms it has? It's almost like we (laughs) don't even know. (laughs) I remember when I first learned the definition of what character was and how it was different from personality. Mm. And in my spiritual teachings, when you're investigating the character of somebody to marry them, that's what it's called. It's like you investigate somebody's character. Mm. And I remember asking myself, what does that mean? Mm. And then I figured out for myself, like how that differentiated with personality. And just that little understanding was so huge. It's like personality is how somebody treats you, but character is how they treat everybody. Mm. I mean, even if you know what you are looking for, who's a good person 
to you mm-hmm. what you consider good character because character is so vast. That's a whole nother mm-hmm. conversation. We don't get that emphasized in life except at home. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get that, not just spoken of, but exemplified, then we sort of figure it out as we go. Perhaps you saw a movie or read a book or a poem that inspired you to understand an aspect of someone's character. And, Mm. you know, like when we see a hero or a superhero and they are the embodiment of virtue, that's the first time that we're exposed to the concept of character. For some children, that's true. And I, I think that's why we can get sucked into the morass of personalities. Mm. As if somebody is very savvy. For example, when I was growing up, we were not allowed to watch television. And I would say the majority of what kids talked about at recess was television shows. Who did what? What happened? Oh my gosh, did you see it last night? And I do remember just thinking, but why? Why do we care what was on television? Why is that? What makes certain kids got popular? Because they could either imitate the characters or they watched it in a different way or everybody wanted to be like them. Did you experience that as well? Yeah. Hmm. And actually, I was a big part of that. I feel like, well, for me, it was a form of connection because it was like, wait, Mm -hmm. what? You watch that too? Mm. I watch that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes sense. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being socially current, connected. You know, it's like when in Rome, you have to speak the language of where you are. I just don't think it applies to a lack of character. And that's where the gray area comes in. Because if you don't even have a definition of what a true friend is, like where does the concept of backbiting fit in? Backbiting is such a precursor to prejudice, such a condition that feeds racism and every other, you know, spiritual disease that separates peoples based on artificialities. So I wonder about that, you know. This performing artist, this vocalist, she wrote a lot of songs for performing artists that people don't know. Her name was Laura Nero, and she wrote this song called Money. One of her lyrics in that song, Money, she says, A good friend is a rare find. Straight talk can ease your mind. Mm. And I was thinking, gosh, it's so rare. It's in this very heavy song where her lyrics are talking about politics of the day and materialism and corruption. And in that is her little gem about a friend and how rare it is. Mm -hmm. Do you think true friends or good friends are rare? Yes. Why? I'm not sure why. I think maybe it's because of materialism. You know, people like to collect friends. Mm. But I think the distinction that I've made, and you've actually helped articulate this in some ways, is that there's such a difference between friends that you make based on connection versus agenda, you know? And I think that in a true friendship, there can never really be any kind of agenda. It has to be based on a connection. 
Mm. You were sharing with me uh, about Brene Brown Mm -hmm. and that she had criteria. One of my favorite things that she talks about is actually gossip. And she has something that she calls common enemy intimacy, Mm. where you kind of hotwire a relationship or a friendship when you find a common enemy Mm. or you just talk, basically talk bad about somebody. And she talks about how that's not building intimacy, that's counterfeit intimacy. That's so true. And the quickest way to elevate someone who hasn't developed character is to push someone else down. And then if you push someone else down in other people's eyes, you've doubly elevated or exponentially elevated yourself. Wow, it's such a good term you just said, hot wire. Uh, that false intimacy, because Mm -hmm. it's instantaneous. Yeah. Well, some of the questions that Brene Brown asks that I love are, does the person gossip? That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Because if they're gossiping to you, they're probably at some point going to gossip about you. But I also want to take this opportunity to differentiate gossip versus processing. Mm -hmm. There's some times where something happens with somebody you love or a friend or maybe even a stranger and you need to process it. What do you think the difference is between backbiting and processing? Mm -hmm. Myself had the privilege of being introduced to processing at a young age. It has been the most valuable tool of my personal development Mm. more than anything. Because if I can process, it really is a synthesis of your knowing and not just intuition, that place that's direct perception. You know it, you just don't yet know why you know it. And your instincts and your intellect and your knowledge you've gathered and your emotional intelligence. And so when you can take apart what happened and you're able to process, why am I comfortable with that person? Why do I always feel trust with that person? Why do I always share so much, which I normally don't? Or why am I uncomfortable with this person? Why am I exhausted when I leave this person's presence? Feels like I've been with a human vampire. I'm so exhausted. If you could process that with someone who knows process versus accusing or letting that be a reflection of someone's lack of character, and they're just interested in you finding out why you reacted, that's process. If it's about you uncovering what your tools can be and how you can avoid that, that's the most priceless processing. And you could do it alone, like you can do it with a journal or reflection, but you can also do it with a trusted friend or a circle where what plays in Vegas stays in Vegas and it stays in the sanctuary of that group. And I think that is incredibly valuable because then when you get the clarity, you don't repeat the pattern. And now you can also be an asset to the very person who causes separations. Or possibly you get clear, oh, at this time, perhaps this isn't the wisest friendship. There's no mutuality here. Zushi, what is processing to you? How do you differentiate between backbiting and processing? 
Well, it's pretty new for me, the concept, which I'm very grateful Mm. for, because I would often feel really guilty about processing because I didn't know, is this gossiping? Is it not? Is it, you know, but I think for me, it's all about intention. So if it's my intention to tear somebody down or plant a negative seed about somebody in somebody's head, Mm. then I think that's unnecessary. But if it's something that I genuinely don't understand or that I'm trying to figure out or that maybe I just need a witness for, then I consider that part of my process. It's also processing for me is so new because I'm so aware of my energy and I feel as I'm getting older, I just become more and more aware of it through finding language to identify how I feel. And what you were talking about earlier was so powerful because I take inventory of how I feel when I'm with certain people, but I've never done it consciously. And now I really do. I trust it more. It's more a part of my process. Like, why is it that I always feel tired around this person or Why do I always leave here feeling drained? Or why am I protective over myself? Or why don't I trust saying this thing out loud? Why don't I feel safe? Or why do I feel like I want to tell this person everything there is to know? Or Mm. why do I want to hug this person (laughs) and I just met them? And so it really allows me to have a deeper questioning about it. But it's also tricky because you don't know why you feel those things and it helps you to go back to the core. Like I remember when you were talking about when your mom passed away and your mom was like a really big, tall woman. And anytime you saw a big, tall woman, you would want to just go hug her. (laughs) And that's something very obvious, right? Like your mom just passed away. You were simply looking for your mom. But I think that there's so many things like that throughout our childhood that maybe we don't remember or we're not completely aware of or aren't at the top level of our consciousness. So we're attracted to certain people, but sometimes it's really dysfunctional. It's like you're still going after the dysfunction. Oh my God. And then it reminds me again of the thing of all children, even if they're abused by their parents, never want to be taken away from them. They still want to go back to their parents. Yes. It's just, you don't know better. And so We're operating on so many different levels and the beauty of this awareness is just being able to not be afraid to go back and question why. Especially if it wasn't even good for you then. Yes. You know, if it was complicated. And so, you know, if the pattern of love is woven into your life through dysfunction, abuse, or even, for example, if one person was narcissistic and they're the one everyone revolves around, then you'll notice you are blind to the pattern of even Hinto narcissism, but it seems like you're drawn to people who manifest more of a self-focus and um, you haven't yet unpacked, oh, I should check in with myself, even physically. How do I physically respond in the presence of those who are self-focused? And I know myself, I've been blessed with friends, not social life. I've been blessed with true friends. I've been richly blessed. And um, 
I've always appreciated. I, I recognize it as something that's, I guess I would say, heaven sent, a blessing. And they have always had much better character than I. You know, so they inspire me. There are so many things about them that I learn. And that for me spells out how a friend can be an evolution of what you grew up with. Hmm. Can you give an example? (laughs) Well, I know, for example, my first experience that I love thinking about is how a friend is nothing more miraculous than a clear mirror. Hmm. And I say that because when they are with you, you feel like yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't feel like you're great, and you don't feel like you're poor. You don't feel like you're better than anybody, and you don't feel like you're worse than anybody. And myself, personality-wise, I'm hideously shy. But when I'm with a friend like you, I talk your ears off, which is so (laughs) odd since I don't do that unless I'm working. Mm-hmm. If I'm with a true friend, there's such a clear mirror of themselves, mm. not just me. I can see so much about them, like they're a bridge builder. They don't backbite. Or if someone hurts them, they strive to get over it and discover the wisdom in it. Oh, that's the friend I want. I don't want to feel bad or sad. I want to understand. Mm-hmm. And then just allow that person who is not healthy to evolve. And obviously, I don't bring out the best in them if I'm a Scooby snack for them. You know, if all they can (laughs) think... They're just going (laughs) to eat you up. Yep. Then I'm like, okay, this is not a healthy dynamic, but why? And how can I find clarity and therefore accountability? Mm. I'm accountable if I repeat the pattern. So obviously in my family of origin, there's lots of opportunities. Who I was to my mother, my father, my sisters, my cousins, and I was searching for mutuality. Mm. You know, I just wanted people who I could love them by seeing who they were instead of who they were not. Mm. And I was hoping for the same in return. Mm. So this quest in a friend It's so important to remember that a friend supports your design rather than an idea. Like if you were my true friend, I remember hearing as a child, if you were my true friend, you would do that X, Y, Z thing, which is usually meant dangerous and breaking the rules. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to ask yourself, oh, wait, how far am I willing to go for this person? I don't think it changes when we're adults. No, I agree. You need to have so much trust to be able to be vulnerable with a true friend so that you can really go there. I know for me personally, there are so many things that I that trigger me that have nothing to do with my friend, but I need to be able to talk to my friend about. Or if they trigger you too frequently, that pattern is like a red alert. Yes, because it's a fine line. I think that's also really important. Uh, Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm so, there's so much courage behind that mm-hmm. because it means you have to 
understand that regardless of what you do, this is their pattern. Mm -hmm. And they've shown you that. So it's like you're talking about if someone triggers, even if it is your work to do smishy, so what? But if they're a constant trigger in your presence, this is what I love about processing. You're not judging them. Mm. You are aware, oh my gosh, I have something that needs to be addressed. Because otherwise, every time I'm with this person, they're going to keep triggering me. Mm-hmm. So you're not blaming them. No. You're just assessing, huh. For myself, I often think, oh, I know who you are to me. <laughs> yeah. You can be an angel to someone else, but evidently I don't bring that out in you. And it's yeah. good to know. Well, that's the other fascinating thing hmm. is that we're different with everybody. Different people bring Mm. out different parts of different people. Which isn't the same as behaving differently with people. Yeah. What do you think that's about? Is that about trust or? Well, I really think we have a purpose in life, each one of us, that's sacred. Mm -hmm. And only we can bring that design to life through our efforts, through our strivings, through our studies, everything that will like unpack it. But it always leads to what's innate, Mm. you know, in terms of a design. Everything, even your physicality, even if someone sees your beauty, for example, it's really, you can't take credit for it. All you can do is be like, you noticed that? Thank (laughs) you for seeing that in me. Because somebody else may not. Right. It goes back to that perception thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And your design. And if it's a design feature, for example, a rose is always going to be a rose. A rose isn't going to bloom and become a lilac or an orchid. So if somebody misperceives you, distorts you, doesn't smell your fragrance, doesn't identify you as a rose and identifies you as a weed, that's not your doing. Mm. That's their perception. However, some people are like sunshine, so it releases more fragrance. Some people are like a hailstorm, and all you do is like close up your petals. Mm -hmm. I think people don't bring that out in everybody because I think there's fear. Mm -hmm. There's the misunderstanding. Because when people don't know who they themselves are, all they can ever do is backbite about someone else. Mm -hmm. I've heard it amongst my Lakota friends, and I've heard it amongst Navajo friends. Same spiritual teaching, that if you're pointing your finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we were all about why we're here, we wouldn't really have time for backbiting. Yeah. But we would have time to identify a pattern that's destructive. We would have time to identify injustices address it, put it to rest. Mm -hmm. So we all can live. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you is, I know you are a very good friend to many people. And I think you're also a friend to your own family members. I don't think you're just like a daughter, a sister, a niece. I think you understand your family deeper than most of us go. How do you define that in yourself? How do you know what to offer people? Well, I think I'm open. Mm. So if it's somebody that I feel safe sharing with, I have no problem being the first one to open it up and to share. 
And then I think that if I do that, most of the time people will share back if they feel comfortable. You're super brave too. It's so hard. You make it look so effortless. I think you are brave with friendships and foraging bridges. Mm -mm. Yeah. Sushi, you just don't see it, but you do it naturally. You're so instinctive and intuitive. But I do know that I like going deep. I don't like staying on the surface. I don't like small talk. At least I'm there at that place in my life now where I'm really available for the real stuff. Mm-hmm. So if it's that, I have a sense of people that are available for that. That's so beautiful. That's your own self-knowledge. That's your self-awareness, mm-hmm. which allows you to be even stronger in when you offer things and also not hurtful when you don't because mm-hmm. you recognize it's just not open yet. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it won't ever open. Oh, that brings up a question I have for you. And that is, I think when we were a culture very much based on spirituality, I mean, that's our roots in this country even, you know, our freedom to worship. We have always had spiritual communities within them, the cultivation of this idea of quote-unquote fellowship, Mm. you know, where we're building community, we're building it from a grassroots place, and we're building it together with spiritual principle. Regardless, if you think about any religious community or spiritual community, you're really, your goal is to build and support one another and the networks mm. within that community and, and then networks outside the community to strengthen the world or service or, you know, so that there's purpose to that community. Otherwise, mm. why have one? Mm-hmm. And so fellowship seems to me something taught. That's one thing that was taught, you know, like how you are to your friends if you go to church and you go to Sunday school. As spirituality has died out in our culture, so has fellowship. Mm. Now we don't even have that frame of reference. I really think that's why backbiting grew as a cultural disease, Mm. but... I wonder what you think about the difference between fellowship and friendship. And is there a difference? To me, fellowship sort of taught me that I should have love for everyone. Mm. But it doesn't mean I have individual assignment with everybody. But I had tolerance and acceptance. And yeah, I think I have some level of tolerance for people just because they're a soul. So it it kind of Mm. helped me to not have judgment, but it wasn't as personal. I think for me or my interpretation of it growing up was we all have a collective goal and we all recognize that we have a practice and we're all in different places, different stages of our practice, and there's enough room for all of us. And so It's this beautiful community you create because you're like-minded. To me, friendship is something that includes that, but then it also means that you have a more intimate bond with a friend. Mm. There's more trust there. It's more personal. Mm. What about you? I feel like fellowship and community is like a laboratory to explore Mm. relationships Mm -hmm. and explore how 
treating all with the same love for their souls, you know, as humans, all equally, how that makes us work harder to find the gems within them and treasure them. And then intimacy, I think, is our ultimate quest. Mm. But I don't think intimacy is easy to cultivate. Mm. I really resonate with what you're saying about trust. Just because you've agreed to treat one another with deference to their purpose and their spiritual ultimate reality doesn't mean we truly love and admire what's been deposited within them, nor are they with us. Mm. You have to be revealing to cultivate intimacy. Yeah. And you're not going to reveal yourself if you don't have actual genuine trust. Mm. And do you think trust is something that is built or do you think it's possible to have instant trust? I've experienced both. I've experienced like meeting someone I had nothing in common with on any level. And trusting them. And trusting them. And then I've also had the privilege of growing up with people and I so wanted that intimacy, but it never happened. Or I've had something grow slowly over time Mm. or something change in their circumstance or mine that fused us together and we would never grow apart after that. That's a connection. That connection can be forged for so many reasons. To me, that's the hope of humanity. If if our purpose is to form relationships of all kinds, Mm. it's the hope that it won't just be status quo. Um, I think it was Jim Henson. He said, there's not a word yet for old friends who just met. I love that. Because it's true. Oh, that's so beautiful. Leave it to Jim Henson Hmm. to give us the wisdom. Yeah. I think, too, the difference between connection and then having an agenda with somebody, it's like a friendship is such a responsibility as well. Hmm. But some people view it as an opportunity. And to me, I think a friendship is sort of like a bank Mm. you know like you deposit your love there Mm. and you know it's such a privilege to be able to see someone and to mirror back to them who they are and what they're capable of or encourage them and really be there for them and then have the same thing returned it's such a responsibility because at every point In turn, you have to be so accountable for yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can be that to somebody. It's like your work is only as good as how clear you are, how clear of a vessel you are for whatever it is to come through you. And I think a friendship is the same thing. It's not an opportunity necessarily. It's not a means to an end. Right. It's like a trust that's been placed in your hands or your care. Mm -hmm. And we have to ask ourselves why we would enter any friendship. And sometimes, though, if you grew up without being seen, and I think a great many of us grew up, not that we weren't loved in our families, but not necessarily seen, that 
it has drained us of the memory of why we're here. And mm. sometimes then in a friendship, we long to be what we never received. We long to be that for someone because we know what it feels like to not have received it. And I think mm. it gives us like super fuel mm-hmm. to go through things with them. Perhaps we would not feel we were prepared to go through. Mm. Friendship is such a journey. I think marriage is a school, like an actual school, like triple PhD school, Uh, because you're going to see yourself in ways you never dreamt you were even there, both to your credit and also for how much work you have left undone. But I think friendship can do that in a sweeter way because it supports nothing more than your purpose and design. Mm. Whereas marriage, you're actually building something built for two. And that's a different thing. It's a structure mm-hmm. that doesn't go away at the end of the day. <laughs> Not that you don't utilize your knowledge and wisdom about being a friend and even a best friend in your marriage and explore the potential there, but it may not function on that level, which is fascinating. Mm. A whole different kind of friendship, romantic friendship. Smushi, I found some of the questions that Brene Brown asks. So I'm just going to read them really quick. So it says, does the person gossip? Do they sympathize with your pain? Are they interested in you? And then I love this next question. Are they too interested in you? Which is also a thing. What does that mean? If they encourage you to share and share and share um, without being open themselves, Mm. do you ever find yourself the butt of their jokes? Does your friend's personality radically change around others? And does your friend encourage or discourage you? Mm. Which are such simple questions, but I think that they're really good to ask yourself. Those are wonderful questions. Oh, Sushi, thank you for sharing those questions. I feel like thanks to Brene Brown, that gives us such a good flexi structure that we could check in with with ourselves. Totally. She talks about a lot of this in this talk she did about trust. Mm, Trust is everything. But, you know, full circle to what we were talking about earlier today, I feel like trust is not even something you know about Mm. until you're in a friendship. And now you don't even know where you needed to have trust in someone and where you did not have the privilege to develop trust before. Because if you're surrounded by those who are not trustworthy, how are you going to ever develop trust? Mm. Except what I love about life is then you can start with you. You can be trustworthy. And that never fails. Like if someone hurt you or used you as the butt of their jokes, then you can always remember to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article in a health magazine about a poll that was done for North America. And the poll was searching for the people who have made the biggest changes in people's lives. And you could put like personal relationships or philosophies or authors, whomever. And what they were hoping to extract by the end of this poll is uh, to find like a model they could put together 
of what makes a mentor. Mm. So if they wanted to know, was it people's mothers? Was it their fathers? Were it teachers? Was it at church? Like, where did it happen and who were they and what was their philosophy? Except a shocking conclusion was that it was the virtual opposite. People who had made the most changes in people's lives by far were people who had anti-modeling, anti-mirroring, very poor examples, sometimes traumatic childhoods. Mm. And what they did with it is that they became determined to provide the opposite of what they endured to be the solution. Mm. And I know that to be true. And I've experienced it, and I respect it. More than anything, I think, that people who have overcome adversity are the most trustworthy people when they've made that the purpose of their life. At some point, they consciously made a choice that they weren't going to repeat the pattern, but they were going to break it. Yes. I mean, in a way... You could see why what you were talking about, why sometimes you meet someone like that and you feel an instant trust. It's because you know for sure they are going to look and do their level best to see you. Mm. Not a projection of you, not what other people see in you. The one thing everybody longs for is to be witnessed. Mm. And who could be a finer friend than someone willing to do that? Okay, this is a funny question I just thought of, but I wonder if you have an answer for it. Are there any friends that you think are like just a really good, solid example of friendship? Um, You are the one who has shared with me real life, modern day examples of people who have taken against the odds, chances, made a success of their lives, and then took their childhood best friends as their business partners. Mm. And even though they didn't have formal training to those ends or have an MBA or, you know, I love those stories because they're not stories. They're Mm -hmm. truth. Based on friendship, people make the best partners. If the friendship is about something higher than status, money, material gain. I love that. Mm -hmm. I really treasure friendship, as you know. Yeah, I think there are certain people that are just really gifted with that. Like LeBron James Mm -hmm. comes to mind. Yes. Him and his two best friends have built an empire, and he was so specific about empowering them. Like he's just empowered the people around him. And that's really inspiring to see. Yes. So that friendship isn't limited. It's not a limited commodity. It doesn't have a limited structure or lifespan to it. No. And it's so courageous. So courageous. I think that is a true example of trust. Mm -hmm. You need to know that that innate trust that you have that isn't circumstantial is going to always be there. Mm. And I think that's priceless. A true friend is so very priceless. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this poem of um, Rumi's timeless visionary poet. He wrote, half of life is lost in charming others. The other half is lost going through anxieties caused by others. Leave this play. You have played enough. 
Mm. I feel like he's calling us to this higher level of friendship. And evidently, I don't think that it's like what happened to LeBron James that made it happen. I think it's who he was and who his friends were mm -hmm. and their friendship together. Little did they know what they had built before the empire ever showed up. Mm -hmm. That's what's so incredible. Mm. I think there's always going to be an outward manifestation in a friendship because ultimately you're exploding with the love you have for each other and it's going to have some kind of application mm. in a bigger sphere. And you know, Sushi, I think the same is true for when a friendship ends. We should view it as the sacred, like of, of anything that ends. It's completion, not morbid. Mm. If it's no longer benefiting, then why would we keep it there? Right. It, it needs to go through a transformation. Mm. I really love that. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Smushi, yet again, thank you so much I, for allowing me to explore this subject because it's been on my mind for a while and it was kind of burning on the back burner. I've been meaning to talk about it with you anyway. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, what if we discuss it <laughs> here? It would be yeah. really exciting. If not here, then where, Smushi? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone out there that's tuning into the Butterfly Forecast. Please give us a review or some stars or some feedback on Apple. And we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Sushi. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time.